Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Irish Mike's Podcast, where we capture stories we like and think you will enjoy too. This episode is brought to you by our little farm, Lake Joy Farmstead. Yes, you heard that right. We have a little farm east of Seattle near Lake Joy and Carnation. You can find out more information about our upcoming classes, beef and pork shares, and our little farm store where we merge our blacksmith trading products into at www.lakejoyfarmstead.com. Always remember, too, that you can find out this episode, plus all the others, at irishmikesmith.com forward slash podcast. On today's podcast, I'm super excited to welcome Ron Alford. Ron is a successful professional and business coach and consultant with Southwestern Consulting and is an author of the new book, Redefining Possible. Today on the podcast, we will discuss his background in the Northwest, the sales, professional, and life skills that he learned selling books door-to-door throughout his college years that have launched him into the successful career he has today. You can find the show notes at irishmikesmith.com forward slash podcast dash possible. Ron Alford, welcome to the show. Hey, Michael, thank you for having me. Good to be here. Oh, it's great to have you, Ron. Uh, I know you're a friend of Guild Mortgage and uh, a friend of a lot of us individually, and you've been a big support to us um, in our Bellevue office. And although we're not going to chat a ton about mortgages or anything like it, uh, it's just been really great to get to know you a a little bit over the last couple of years as you've come in and presented to us. Um, And I'm really excited to take you on this podcast interview and and find out a little bit more about you, uh, Southwestern Consulting and Coaching. And uh, of course, this new book, which I'm excited to, to get into a little bit with you. Yeah, no, this will be fun. I'm grateful for our, the relationship we've had and, and uh, obviously for what's to come. So you bet. Well, fantastic. So uh, t- take me through a little bit of your kind of personal bio. Where did you grow up? Uh, high school? Where did you study in college? If, if you did, things like that. And what kind of got you to, to this spot professionally with Southwestern? Yeah. So I, the shorter version was a military kid. Uh, dad was military for 30 something years. Both my older brothers went in the Marine Corps and, and, uh, you know, we moved around a bit. I went to high school in Alaska on a little military base on the tip of the Aleutian islands and then came back to the quote Laura 48, uh, after high school and just was, was thinking about boot camp Like the big bros was, was looking at being a Marine and, and, uh, just thinking, well, maybe I can be an officer and kind of do it my own way. Was was dabbling in that and taking some classes at community college. And then a friend of mine said, hey, I got, I got this crazy summer job I'm going to do. We're going to sell educational products door to door to help kids. It's like 80 something hours a week of face-to-face rejection, straight commission. You might not make anything. We got to find our own place to live. What do you think, man? You want to do it? <laughs> And it, yeah, you're shaking your head. It scared the crap. I mean, it hit me like this sounds horrible. And that's part of why I did it. Like that, I, I was craving boot, a boot camp experience to kick my butt. I was hanging around with not the, the best people, was making some bad decisions, was just being immature. And I felt like something like this could really just rough me up the right way. And, uh, you know, that's kind of a weird way to look at it, but. So we went out that summer and that's exactly what I did and realized I absolutely hated it as much as I thought I would. And, uh, but I also loved it. There was a part of me that loved it. And so that was, that's Southwestern summer, uh, internship program 
came back long story short, made some good money, but still just had this taste in my mouth. Like, man, I, I got to learn how to do this the right way. I felt like I was just, you know, not on schedule, didn't have the best integrity and, and some of those things I wasn't proud of. And, uh, so decided to come back for a second summer, did better, brought five people with me, learned how to recruit, learned how to hire, learned how to train and develop others. And man, I realized I, I got a check for about 25,000. This was back in the early nineties from just selling books in the summer. And, uh, I was like, wow, this is something the Lord gave me that I wasn't prepared for. And so I had some friends that went to SPU. I, I decided, okay, I got to, I got to take this school thing more serious, decided to go to Seattle Pacific university, paid hundred percent of my own tuition. And, uh, and then ended up staying with Southwestern through, you know, through college and beyond. So that's the short version of kind of how I tripped into Southwestern and then my collegiate, you know, experience as well. So, so let me go back to um, the Southwestern selling books. I, I had some uh, old for, former colleagues that uh, did that as well. Uh, I'd never heard anything like it. Um, uh, I know that people I think showed up at our house when I was a kid in Spokane. Uh, that's where I grew up yeah. uh, knocking on our door and trying to sell us things and things like that. And we were pretty pretty poor family. And so my parents didn't buy anything. But uh, when I got into this career, I was doing some leadership consulting with local schools. I met some some of the, my colleagues there uh, had cut their teeth uh, in selling and working uh, in that way. Uh, and they described, you know, moving to a town, like literally, you know, finishing up their freshman year in, in college, and the next day flying to some town somewhere, and, but to take me through the process, because you mentioned it, but I want to feel like the listeners need to hear this. You have to convince some family to take you in. Is that correct? You, you go yeah. in, but with like a couple of bucks in your pocket, like how, tell me about that. <laughs> you, you mentioned boot camp. I get, we got to capture this part real quick. Yeah. I still look back. It's funny that you ask, cause it's almost 30 years ago now for me. And it's uh, about 160 year old program. It was around pre-civil war. Wow. And, and you hit it. Companies out of Nashville. That's why they call it the Southwestern company back pre-civil war nashville was in the southwest united states so we wherever you go to school you know europe canada anywhere in america the students that would do this there's about three thousand around the world that do it every summer we would go to nashville for this five-day boot camp to teach us you know different type of boot camp obviously teach us just all the ins and outs about how to run a business how to build rapport quickly how to find a need and, and, and identify a prospect and help them make a decision, help them get off the fence, how to help get warm leads. So you're not just cold calling, how to, you know, directly transferable skills that are going to work in any type of sales, but more importantly, how to keep your emotions in check, how to, how to control what you can and not worry about all the stuff that is out of your control. You know, how to learn, how to, how to, how to learn how to adapt to different, types of families, different types of roommates, different types of geography that you've never been in, et cetera. So then at the end of this, this week-long training, they would send our group out uh, to wherever in the nation we were going to work that summer. So my first summer, we didn't know where until the end. And then they sent us to Dallas, Texas. So all of our group from UW, Western, SPU, like all the Washington schools went to Texas. And uh, my second summer, we were in North Philly, my third summer was Jersey and Long Island. And, and most of my summers after that were anywhere from Virginia to Connecticut, a lot of that New York area. And to your point about host families, we would literally get out there and, you know, we would have two, a couple of roommates 
and we'd say, Hey, we, we would literally go and identify places that we might want to live. And we would just be asking people, do you know of anybody that might have a spare room or a mother-in-law apartment they'd be willing to rent out for the summer um, for cheap? You know, we're university students. We're not here to party. We're here to work our butts off and learn and help families. Um, and we're looking for a safe place to just keep our stuff and get a few hours of sleep at night. Boy, I remember that script like it was yesterday. <laughs> that's, cr- that's crazy. And you, so you, you knock at somebody's house and, and they've got to be staring at you going, what the heck? You got it. And, and it's, but it's crazy, the law of averages and just the power of asking. I still, to this day, I'm almost 50 now. My, my wife and I talk with this a lot. We're trying to teach our kids, just ask for things. Pride holds us back and, and fear and all these negative emotions hold us back from asking for things. And it blows your mind how if you just ask for something with a humble heart and, and just appreciativeness, worst case scenario, they say, gosh, we don't know anybody, sorry. And you say, okay, awesome. Well, hey, if you see me around town this summer, give me a wave. I'm going to be here all summer. Have an awesome day. And then boom, next one. And lo and behold, we all found places to stay within two days. Some, and, and usually it was about $25 a week of rent is that what each student would pay. That was the average. And these are like nice places in Long Island and New York where rent's quite high. So it, it blows your mind. Um, I, back then, I kind of took it for granted because you just got used to it. But looking back now, it, it does blow my mind a bit. That, that some family would say, yeah, I'll let this uh, 18, 19 year old, 20 year old yeah. uh, you know, guy from the Seattle area stay in my house for the summer. You got it. And it's then uh, the, you were probably on your own for food and those types of things, right? You didn't put the, the expectation was what on the family that was hosting you. Correct. We will leave the house by before 7 a.m. We will not be back till closer to 10, Mr. Smith. <laughs> what I would you know, tell you. Yeah. And uh, we're here to work. We'll be around a little bit more on Sundays, but we try to, we have group meetings and whatnots on Sundays. And uh, you know, if, if possible, a little cupboard space to throw some bread and maybe a little fridge space, but we don't require that. And so just really sensitive asking and usually, and then we would say things like, would you happen to know of a laundromat within a few miles? And more than likely they end up saying, oh my gosh, just do your laundry here. You know? And, and so very indirectly, we would ask for things and it just, you'd get so appreciative because people would, would help you. That's cool. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, it's shocking that, um, but also super cool that it was so successful for you and so many other college students, because that's what blew me away about the stories of the other folks that did this, um, that I'd met years ago is at the end of the summer, you would get a big check because you lived on the cheap, right. For three months. And then you're getting ready to go back to school. Most people need to pay their tuition bill yeah. and you get some check, right? And then you could turn around and hand it over to the university. Is that, is that essentially yeah. the plan? Boy, you hit it well. Yeah. And, and obviously some students maybe had different situations, but for sure. the most of us, you know, that's, I was like you, I, my parents, I didn't have a, and I, you know, my parents weren't going to help with any secondary education. And, and, and uh, so if I was going to go to school, it was hundred percent. I didn't want to take loans and, and, you know, have all that. So I paid every penny. And so you'd work hard. The average student their first summer would make about 8,500 back then to get a check for about 6,500 at the end. And if you work hard and put your mind to it, you're going to do better than average, like anything in life. And so, you know, that first summer I got a check for about 12 grand. Second summer I got a check for 25 grand. And I was you made $20, $25,000 in the nineties for three months worth of selling uh, books uh, door to door 
in some town USA. You got it. Wow. Bucks <laughs> County, Pennsylvania, to be specific. Was uh, that was that your record? Uh, that your record second. summer? No, gosh, they got way better after that. Thankfully, wow. I, I ended up selling about nine summers. Um, each one got a bit better, and then the next eleven years, I was the director of the West Coast of Canada for that company, where I didn't sell, but I led a lot of the universities, you know, UCLA and University of Vancouver, British Columbia, and you know, kind of oversaw the Western region of North America. And, and then in 2013, just after 20 years, felt like I needed a shift. And so that's when I joined Southwestern's sister company. It's part of our family of companies that's Southwestern consulting. And that's the coaching that we do now. Which I want to get into in a second, but to wrap a ribbon around the uh, publishing side and selling the books, I mean, the, the skill set that you get, the habits, the training, the OJT, uh, you know, real life, dealing with rejection, you touched on it, um, getting yeses, learning to build uh, rapport. I mean, I would imagine that every person that was successful in that program probably is successful in their career today. I mean, that is a boot camp of all boot camps for sales training. Um, and as we know, sales training still can be one of the most profitable careers, regardless of the product that you're selling. But what you're doing is you're interacting with other humans and getting them to believe an idea, uh, certainly, or a physical product. I mean, just tell me about that sort of long-term training of now adults who are professionals and what that experience did for them. Yeah. Yeah, it's so neat to hear that question. And I'm, you know, I'm sure a lot of your listeners are parents because I think about now having three kids, the types of things I want to subject them to that help mold them and shape them. I'm not relying on their school or government to do that. I, I need to, you know. Um, so to your point, I have a lot of friends now that uh, are attorneys or they're chiropractors or whatever that did Southwestern 15, 20, 25 or more years ago did the Southwestern summer internships that they've used those skills and principles and mindset to help them do what they do now. Maybe they're running a business, maybe they're selling in the, in a certain industry, but a lot of them aren't even in sales and they still talk about how this has made the massive difference and how they deal with people, how they, how they listen more, how they ask questions and don't talk as much. A lot of those things that school doesn't teach us and mainly how we control what we can and accept the things we can't. And obviously in, in a world of COVID and, you know, political tension and racial tension and, and, you know, just so much divide and so much division, how do we accept the things we must and control the things we can? That is like one of the biggest principles. So it, an old Southwesternism was find three positives for every negative situation. <laughs> ah, I missed my flight or this person said no, or my car tire blew out or I got lost or whatever, all these negative things that happen to all of us. What are three good things that can come from it? And then control the controllables. That was like the thing that we just hammered into ourselves was control the things you can let go of the things you can. Wow. Yeah. As a parent, I have uh, six children um, and uh, they, you know, I'm, I'm encouraged by other dads primarily, but parents in general, uh, and, and this generation, the Gen Z types, you know, is a, is a really unique generation, I think. Um, and, uh, because they're getting hammered 
uh, what it appears to be more than any other generation in history. Of course, probably every parent had said that um, mm-hmm. about, you know, Gen X, which is what I am. I'm sure my parents said the same thing about, uh, uh, but it seems like we're, they're getting hammered because of, you know, everything, social media, everything's on their cell phone, all that kind of stuff. Um, so some of the principles are, feel like they're harder to not only teach, but to kind of get them to get them to stick. Um, and so I, I draw um, inspiration from, um, from folks even like you and what you're sharing and some of the principles um, that we have to continue to, to teach and invest in our children, especially if we are not putting them into a Southwestern publishing boot camp uh, every summer. <laughs> right. The majority that won't, <laughs> yeah, even with my three kids, it's like, okay, if, if they don't do Southwestern, how else will I make sure they right. get the principles? Exactly. Somebody told me once, um, the principles don't change, the tactics do, Um, which I thought was interesting uh, way to say it and stuck with me. Um, And one of the examples in business would be, um, you know, used to market a certain way. And now because of electronics and media and things like that, you know, if you want to differentiate yourself or promote, we're using even a platform like we're doing now with podcasting, essentially anybody can have a radio show. Um, you know, that's a unique way to differentiate yourself. So the principle is to market yourself. The tactic changes on how you can get your message out there, right? Yeah. So take, let's use that as our transition into Southwestern coaching and consulting. So this big company has a, a family of companies. You make a, a lateral move, up, uh, upgrade, whatever, into the consulting and coaching side. Tell, tell me about that. Yeah. So I, I alluded to it. You know, I just was so in love with the Southwestern history and the principles. And I felt like I kind of just tripped into something that altered my life. And I obviously have never looked back. And, uh, but after 20 years, I I just felt a little bit of an itch to shake it up. You know, I I had really poured a lot into that South it's called Southwestern advantage, which is the educational Mm -hmm. products. And, uh, so in 2013, took about six months, interviewed at a lot of different companies, a lot of different industries, looked at a lot of things internally within Southwestern family of companies and externally. And uh, finally came to a decision that, man, the, the, the chance to help people achieve their goals in life was the, the neatest thing I could do. It's the most proud thing I would be to tell my children what I do. And, and that's, that's literally all we do is we help people get really clear on where they want to be in their professional and personal life and then do anything and everything to help them get there. And so that was the, that the logic didn't make much sense for me to come here. This was, you know, I, I looked at a lot of different, different jobs and, and, uh, but that just kind of captured my heart. And so summer of 2013 made the decision to come to Southwestern consulting and coaching and no looking back, been here eight and a half years since then. I love that. So who on the coaching side, I mean, look, we know about in the sports world, um, you know, there's head football coaches, for example, there's position coaches. And then some of these guys have, you know, other people that they've hired or whatever to coach them individually, you know, where we live, Russell Wilson has a bunch of coaches, but he has somebody that literally watches his mechanics uh, right on how he throws the football. Um, You know, so everybody needs a coach, right? Everybody really should have somebody that's looking um, at them, their life, their career, their business, and helping them along. Is that is that a fair way to say it? It is. And I'll, I will add one quick thing. Please. A lot of times, especially the coaches need a coach too. Okay? Yeah. We're, we're no different. 
So to your point, I love how you use the Russell Wilson example, because it doesn't matter if it's how quote successful or whatever the person is, we all have blind spots. We're all better with feedback and our team of coaches all have coaches and, and it just someone to help us be accountable, someone to help us get clear, someone to help us just stay a little more on point with where we feel like we want to be going. Uh, the right coach can just make a massive difference. So yeah, I love the way you framed it. Oh, it's really important. It took me a while to, to kind of embrace coaching. Um, and I, it was the phrase that you, you had mentioned, the blind spots, um, you know, the spots that we just can't see, uh, whether it's in our business, like literally the metrics of what we do professionally, uh, personally, and, you know, family as a parent, as a husband, as whatever. Um, it's really, really important stuff. So on that point, um, how, how do you build your clientele? Who is your ideal coaching student or client or whatever it is that you call them? And, and how does that part work? Yeah. So our model is not industry-based. We work with anyone that's in sales and leadership. Uh, you know, we do have an element of life coaching and kind of a, a student and life coaching division, but the majority is anybody and everybody that's in sales and leadership. So a lot of our bread and butter industries are of course, mortgage, real estate, financial advisors, et cetera. But it's, it's, interesting how we all do just about the same thing. We just have different products. So people in medical device sales or roofing sales, or, you know, we, we do a lot of the very similar things. And so we come in, we offer a complimentary workshop to teams and the, the goal is to show value and make a difference. And then obviously find a fit for people that do want more that people that do want more one-on-one -on -one support and want to invest in their growth. That's the type of person we partner with. And then we match them with a personality fit. We're really big on making sure that the client has a matched coach. It's all one-on-one. -on -one. Uh, and then it's really just a lot of us shutting up and listening. In life, everyone's got a lot of stuff rocking. There's a lot of things that are going great. And then, and then we all have some gaps. We all have some areas where we could tighten up. And that's a lot of the goal of the first call or two is to identify what are some of those areas where we would want to tighten things up. Maybe it's how I manage my time. Maybe it's getting clearer on my vision. Maybe it's how I have more incoming warm leads or how I market my brand, how I shorten my sales cycle, whatever it is, you know, or how I recruit staff and, and delegate and scale what I'm doing or whatever the thing is. And then that's where we're going to then customize anything we do for that specific person. And you're saying that these principles that you try to smoke out and teach and coach to um, it doesn't matter whether you're, you're selling a, a, an actual physical product or you're selling a service. Um, your goal is to, to find out how to make them better at selling whatever it is that they're trying to sell. Well said. Yeah. Okay. Because at the end of the day, you know, if you have a question on a file, like just to speak to Guild Mortgage or your, sure. if, if someone has a logistical question on a product or a file, you have internal Guild support. You, you, you know, but for what we focus on is behavioral change. We focus on sales psychology, on obviously managing our own emotions and managing the emotions of other humans. Because if my own emotions are on point, my activity is higher, my conviction is higher, my, the way I speak, my language is more on point, right? And then if I am able to effectively influence other people's emotions, I help them come to a decision quicker and, and get them on or off the, you know, off the fence. Uh, so yeah, that's way we look at it. No, that's good. That's cool. So who is there an ideal candidate or, or is, did I, did I miss that? Did you share? There's not, I mean, it's, 
for us, it's really finding my, my two coaching calls this morning so far. One is the CEO of a company called Pro Pharma Distribution in Denver, Colorado. He's a CEO. Um, the other one runs a mortgage company in Knoxville, Tennessee, a smaller mm-hmm. mortgage company. Uh, and, and so it doesn't matter if it's an LOA or a, a junior production partner of any type of industry or someone that's in sales or leadership or recruiting or whatever, we're going to match them. We have a, about 130 coaches around the world where we're going to match that person. And then one quick thing I'll mention too, some people want this to be 95% business and profit. Like I'm, this is about revenue and financial growth. And so I want to, we make sure we're clear on that. Others want it to be pretty 50, 50 personal and professional, like my home habits, my, my relationships, my fitness, my spiritual life, et cetera. And then obviously mix in some business as well. But for some people, they want it to be a little more life coaching, which is great. So that helps us match them with the right coach. I like that. That's really cool. Well, so your, your career as a, as a professional coach now has been how many years did you say, are we at like eight or nine years? Is that right? Okay. Um, so you probably coach, you said, sounds like you've coached salespeople at a, a small level, big, you know, sort of CEOs of companies and all probably sorts of folks in between. You got it. So what led to this super cool, awesome book, Redefining Possible? Where did that come from? Um, I've, I, I can imagine a few things, but I'd like you to share kind of the genesis of that project and uh, tell us a little bit about why this book needs to be on the shelves. And then more importantly, in people's libraries and in their hands, reading, uh, reading it and applying the principles to their lives. I think it was a fantastic book, by the way. And I was spoiled because you've shared some thoughts on it to us as a group before little kind of teaser trailers, we'll call it. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so I got excited about it. And then the book itself, of course, is amazing. But from your perspective, tell us about redefining possible your new book. Yeah, man. Well, thank you. I, I can't, help but get goosebumps. Like to me, I just get really excited about these topics. I always think as a dad, what are the, what are, what is the legacy I'm going to live for my three, leave for my three kids when, when I'm, you know, gone or, and so that, that was a lot of the origin of this is working to find ways to, to capture all these principles and things that, you know, the character traits you believe in that, that really make the difference. I, I love to think about people that I respect and admire and what are the character traits about them that I admire that's what this book is. It's, it's breaking belief barriers and helping, helping us think differently. Limitations in life come from beliefs. And so it's trying to help us break limitations, reprogram some thoughts uh, to help us get different results. And then the, the, the massive principle in the book is the different results are one thing, but bringing people with us is the best part of it, making an impact on others. If you go out and get a bunch of trophies this year and you win all these awards and you, you know, have so much accolades in your professional and personal life, yay, you, that's awesome. I'm happy for you, (laughs) but that's a lonely place to sit there in your bedroom or living room or wherever you're at and pat yourself on the back. Like it's not as meaningful if it's not when you're a part of something bigger than you. And so I hope, hopefully that's resonating with all your listeners. That's a lot of the message of the book is. How do we use this growth and these results and this, these gifts we have to lighten the burden of others, to uplift others, to inspire others, and to make a difference in the lives of others? And so there's, there's basically six key principles in the book that, that build on each other and then lead towards the ultimate you know, message of the book, which is the impact we have on others' lives. That's awesome. 
That's really great. Yeah, no, this, you know, it always, there's kind of a fun debate out there. You know, do we really need more books? Like, you know, do we need more cookbooks? Probably not. It, it already exists. <laughs> right. But did I just buy one this last week when I was in South Carolina? Absolutely. You know. Right. right. Totally. Uh, do we need more self-help books or anything that's going to inspire us to be better people? Gosh, it's all there, right? We certainly, we have the Bible. Uh, we have other religious texts. We have all kinds of great authors that have gone before us uh, that have, you know, extrapolated great principles and in, in, in a meaningful ways. Um, but this book seems fresh to me. It seems like it's got a fresh voice. It's not just sort of recycled narrative. Um, that's my sort of takeaway is that there's a fresh way to look at uh, just like the title, Redefining Possible, that you can do it. You can make a difference in other people's lives. And I appreciate the simplicity um, of the breaking it down into the six principles and kind of drilling down deep on that. Um, I think it's just fantastic. Uh, but tell me, who who needs to read this book? Who, who are, Who's your audience? Yeah, and I, I will speak to one thing you said on, do we need more of this kind of stuff? Most of, of us have heard of Zig Ziglar. He always used to say, people say motivation doesn't last. Well, neither does bathing. That's why we need it daily. That's right. That's, <laughs> that's one of my favorite quotes. Oh, I love it. It's yeah. just such a, it's such a, it captures it. Like, yeah, pessimist, motivation doesn't last, you know, but, but we, so that's, that's a way to refill our cup, right? It's hard to pour from an empty cup. That the goal is whatever you use, you alluded to the Bible. I mean, if it's music, if it's, if it's, you know, alone time in nature, whatever you use to fill your cup, man, fill that sucker up. Cause that, that's, that's just a massive deal. Who this book speaks to are people that want to have clearer focus, get really clear on where they want to be. The, the first key principle we dig in on is, is focus. And right now I think it's, I mean, even during this call, I'm sure you're having notifications pop up, your phone's lighting up. Like it's so challenging right now to eliminate distractions and have focused conversations, focused workouts, focused time. And so we really dig in on principles and then also strategies to build on these things. So focus is where it starts. We then dig deep into taking responsibility and ownership and anything and everything that happens to us in our life. There is zero blame. There's zero pointing fingers when, when a human starts doing that. Uh, and then it's getting clear on our vision, really gaining true unconditional confidence, breaking some belief barriers, uh, and then strengthening our faith. We, we look at faith as though, as though it's a muscle that can be strengthened or weakened. And in times where there's global pandemics or even personal pandemics that people go through, sure, faith is fleeting. And, and a lot of times we all lose hope. I'm guilty of this. And so that's where the book really digs in. So if any of those topics resonate, I would say that's, that's the person where this book is going to speak to. That's a great answer. I love that. And uh, it's a good reminder of that Zig Ziglar quote. I guess I should move beyond my Saturday bath then. <laughs> Come on. Just do a week. Progress, not perfection, right? Two baths a week. Uh... But hey, with six um, kids, you got to share water and stuff. Uh, it's true. It's true. <laughs> um, uh, so speaking of focus, uh, before we jump off the book and into just a couple of fun questions as we wrap up our time together, um, tell me about the process. I must have taken you must have had to kind of listen and use one of your own principles of focus, just even write the book. I mean, I, I think this is your first book, correct? Correct, yeah. as an author. 
It is. So tell me about the experience of going from, hey, I should write a book, or somebody told me I should write a book, or I should capture this on paper and try to promote it. That process of getting you to actually do it, connecting with a publisher, you know, those types of things. How was that journey? Yeah, it, it was. There was a number of times through that initial journey where we, we all have those moments of like, what did I just commit to? Like, what, what and why? And, you know, the old principle is anything I say yes to in life, there, there must be simultaneously something else I'm saying no to. So obviously having emotional preparation going into this, that if I'm saying yes to tackling this book and really working on it and doing it justice, and if I'm going to do it, let's do it the right way. If we're going to do it, because I, it's co-written, my, my good buddy and coworker, Dustin Hillis wrote it with me. Um, if we're going to do this, let's do it right. So therefore, what does that mean? Less time with, with business, my day job, less time working on my fitness and training for races I love to do, or less time with my kids or less leisure time or whatever. So that was the first thing is, is making an emotional, you know, kind of having that emotional decision to say, okay, I'm going to embrace this. And then I'm going to get hyper-focused with my time and, and, and my planning, right? We all know the power of planning and the, the power of preparation and so every week we got micro plan detail, you know, into all the compartments of life. If I'm working on my fitness or my marriage or my kids or my, my prospecting and business, you know, revenue generating income producing activities, or it's something related to the book that is detailed in my calendar. I've got accountability to stick with it and I'm building a fence around whatever it is on my calendar um, and not, not accepting the excuse to, to get off course. So that was, that was massive is, is just making that decision. Yeah. I've uh, talked to many authors and uh, the process of, uh, I mean, I think a lot of people have the goal to write or to write something of, of meaningful, you know, something that's meaningful that you can touch and, and share with others. Uh, but then it's the, the real tough part is taking your idea and actually going into the action steps of actually, you know, spending time writing out, uh, the actual stuff and then, you know, working on getting it published. I mean, there's a, you know, there's, there's a, a line you cross, right. In order to kind of, to kind of get that going and to get that message out there. Yeah. Yeah. And we, we personally, so thankfully for us, we have a, you know, Southwestern publishing as part of our family company. So that part was, was a bit built in, but we made a decision, Dustin and I, that we're not going to let this interfere with, you know, certain other parts of our life. So we worked on this at night, like wow. after like between six to 8 PM or, you know, and, and we got permission from our wives. We got permission from our families, the, the, the nights. And we, you know, so we were sure. giving up personal time, you know, maybe on a Saturday before the family woke up or, or a Wednesday night after the kids have gone to bed, those kind of things. And it took four years. We, we did a number of re-edits. The first go ramp go through didn't felt like it captured our voices. Um, it, it was very demoralizing. It was very, frustrating and but we you know kind of kept at it just like anything in life right stick to itiveness yeah well again you, you had to use some of your own principles that you're trying to convey uh just to actually get the project done yeah there was a few times where dustin and i both were like we need to basically just practice what we're preaching <laughs> right <laughs> exactly. uh, i'm gonna redefine possible by actually finishing this chapter do that what you say on. you're gonna do Exactly. Right, right. Oh, that's excellent. Well, it's a great book. And when we when I share this with everybody, 
of course, we'll put a link, uh, you know, for folks to be able to buy it. Do you, is it okay if we pr- push the Amazon link or is there some local bookstores we can, um, you know, highlight oh, as well? We don't care. Whatever is easy for you. Yeah. Amazon's great. I mean, redefiningpossible.com is great. Okay. So any of that stuff's great, Michael. We'll put that in the show notes for sure. Well, let's shift into just a couple of fun questions just so folks can get to know you a little bit more. Um, these are questions I heard from uh, Brian Buffini. Do you know that name? I do. Yeah. Great. He's a, runs a great coaching company. I've been coached by them um, at, in times in the past. Uh, still use a lot of their services. And uh, on his podcast, he asked some fun questions and I took the idea and decided to make it my own. And, and one of them is um, when you're scrolling through the cable TV lineup, if you ever are, uh, you're surfing and a movie um, shows up and it doesn't matter what part of the movie it's in, you always stop at least for a few minutes and watch it. What's one of your favorites? That will catch each time. Ooh, man, that's a good one. Uh, so I'm a sucker for the, the real life story. So re- remember the Titans, Shawshank Redemption, a lot of those kind of ones that I just, I have not been able to get into sci-fi type stuff or where, where it, but when, when it feels like a real life story, uh, that's when I stop and just get inspired. And, I, and I'm, maybe it's because I love drawing on the inspiration from those kind of sure. Kind of yeah, no, I, uh, my wife is into sci-fi. She begs me to try to watch some of it and I just glaze over really fast. <laughs> All right. Uh, but when it's something true uh, or, or like you said, it's, you know, feels true. Uh, I'm not sure that Shawshank Redemption was true. I think it was very loosely based on a tr- but the movies, that's actually one for me. I, I'll, I will always stop and watch for yep. a few minutes on that one. We need a little um, your frame, you know, a little, little, little <laughs> Shawshank in our lives any day. Totally. Totally. Um uh, what's a song on the radio or when you want to get pumped up, you, uh, you know, hit your iPhone, your music, and it just jazzes you up every time you get fired up. It could be anything. Yeah. I, boy, I love variety. So Alexa, every morning I'll tell her, you know, whatever playlist for if I'm working at my home office and, uh, it's a good mix of faith music. It's a good mix of good old country, like, you know, Johnny Cash or Kenny Chesney type stuff. I know they're different generations, of course, but sure. Um, but that, that is usually my favorite. So just kind of getting into some of those. And then sometimes, you know, we, we all need a little bit of disco or whatever it is to kind of <laughs> laugh and have a little fun and be goofy. And so that's, that's my, my genres. I love that. Who's a favorite author or podcast uh, provider that you, uh, you find yourself listening to often or yeah, reading their books? Question. You know, lately, uh, Tim Ferriss is a big one. And I love... Oh, sure. um, there's a book right, right here called tools of Titans that is one of my favorites as well. So his podcast is good because his ability to ask great questions. I think anybody that just does an incredible job of bringing out emotion and, and asking great questions and listening and then having great follow-up questions. That's something that I, I, I love your role as a podcast host because that's so much of what you do. And I think that's a massive principle in selling and leading families too. I can tell my kids what to do or I can ask them better questions and have their own light bulbs go off. And so to your aunt, that's a long answer, but Tim Ferriss to me is one that does that really well. Um, he just seems to love to learn. He seems genuinely interested in, in all of his guests. And I, and I also love listening to people that just love to learn. And, and that, that resonates with me. Um, the Tools of Titans book is a good one because it talks about healthy, wealthy, wise, if I remember right, it's broken up into basically three different books and it's two or three pages of the best of each podcast 
one section is all based on health. One is on wealth. And then I think there's a, I think it's wisdom is the third part of it. Yeah, it is. I've, I've read it. It's a fantastic book. Um, and you're right. He's an excellent podcast host. Um, and he really goes deep on, on topics that, um, you know, are, are a lot of fun or, or, you know, sort of stimulate your, you know, your thought process for sure. But yeah, tools of Titans was great. It's based on that Benjamin Franklin uh, quote, um, which I can't recite very well, but the, (laughs) the happy, wealthy, and wise is the finish of that quote. I can't remember the rest, but that's, that's the basis is an old Benjamin Franklin quote. (laughs) And I'll have to plug, I'll have to plug, uh, obviously. So the action catalyst is the second favorite one. That's a Southwestern one where it talks about this, the spirit and the power of taking action on the things that matter in life. And then of course, Michael Smith's podcast, you know, those are my, (laughs) thanks man. I appreciate it. I love it. Well, last one, what is, um, what is an inspirational quote, um, or, or, you know, principle or, I don't know, edict, uh, nugget, something that you always draw inspiration from. Maybe it's, you know, hanging on your desk or on your wall, or it's just something that always charges you up from a kind of a quote perspective or words to live by. Yeah. And I, you know, there's a number of them that pop into my mind, but by far, if I'm going to be authentic, it's, it's Proverbs three, five, and six. And it's, uh, it has just made a massive difference to me in my life, especially the last six years with some things our family has gone through, but it, it just speaks on the power of trust and, and the, the, the verses speak the basically trust in the Lord with all my heart, lean not on my own understanding and all my ways, acknowledge him and he will make my paths straight. Straight. Yeah. And I, I just, love- whatever your, whatever each listener's spiritual beliefs are, that's not any attempt to sway that it's, it's just that there, there's, there's so much power in trusting and letting go of our understanding. I don't have to understand it. I'm just going to trust. And, and that, makes a big difference. Well, it's one of the beauties of faith is, uh, and I think I I imagine most uh, religious faith teachings teach something similar when it comes to leaning, not on your own understanding, you know, we got to get out of the way Uh, because I think as a human and certainly as a male, at least I'll speak for myself, I get in the way, get in my own way all the time. And I always try to think to, to get things figured out on my own. And I don't trust enough, uh, certainly God and his plan, um, and it, and even in just practical, tactical ways, um, just, I can't get out of my own way sometimes. And so it's a really, really important, uh, scripture, proper principle, uh, to implement for sure. Uh, that's a, that's a fantastic quote. Scripture. Yeah, it's, it's just meant a lot. It's spoken to my heart over the years. I, I will add one other additional one, um, that has meant a lot, especially with the pandemic and everything going on my resistance to what is, is, is what causes my suffering in life. Wow. So that that's an old quote on basically the, the, the fact that what I resist persists. So the more I think about things that are my, it's my resistance to what is, in other words, reality that causes my suffering in life. If my, if I'm X height and I wish I was taller or shorter, if I'm a certain skin color, if I, if I, if my parents have a certain personality, um, if the pandemic says I must wear a mask in this restaurant tonight and I'm, you know, <laughs> whatever, I know those are touchy topics, but the more I resist it, the more I suffer, mm. the more I learn to accept and embrace, the more I experience joy and money it, comes and goes, but joy is, is what lasts. Well, and that it, it really is an excellent uh, quote and thought. 
um, during the pandemic because there's lots of emotion and I think people are just in general a little bit more agitated than normal um, wow. and a little bit slower or uh, uh, not slow to anger, <laughs> a little bit quick to quick to judge, quick to get angry, quick yeah. to get frustrated. So and if you don't uh, really believe what I believe, you must be an idiot. And quick, so quick to judge. Oh, it, yeah. it, it's and it's it's sad. And I've I'll catch myself doing it. And I have to constantly remind myself, stop it. Like that's not my place to judge another human. I love it. Um, and I I I travel, I fly at least every other week. And I'm Sunday night I was flying home and you know, sir, put your mask on, you know, okay, my bad. You know, yeah. <laughs> and just those little daily things that it's like, okay, I just accept this and anyways. So no, it's good. It's good. Well, Ron, I appreciate you doing this. Where can people find out more information about um Southwestern uh and your book and some of the other stuff that you're involved in? Yeah. Thanks for asking. So ronalfordswc.com is the nice. easy place. So that's Ron Alford with Southwestern Consulting. Um, yeah. And then obviously LinkedIn or Instagram, my Instagram's Ron Alford coach. Any of those kind of places are great because it's just a personal message. That's the easiest way. You do a newsletter or anything like that? We don't, we have internal company blogs. Um, and then I'll, you know, post on social media, you know, again, LinkedIn and Instagram are probably the most common, but, um, yeah, that's, that's pretty much it. I love it. And redefiningpossible.com is where people can find out more information about the book specifically. You got it. And where they can buy it. You got it. Awesome. Well, I have a book club, uh, that I do with some of my referral partners and we do a book every other month and, uh, your book redefining possible is going to be the one that we're going to read this month and we'll discuss it uh, in November. Um, and uh, that's how we do it. And it's a lot of fun because we've been able to draw inspiration and, and, and share some notes and thoughts. And these are attorneys and financial planners and real estate agents and all kinds of fun people in the greater industry. So we're looking forward to, uh, I'm looking forward to sharing this book with them uh, because it's uh, been so meaningful. Yeah. Well, brother, thank you, man. It's your heart and all the good you do in the world. I know the message of this podcast is, is, is very much aligned with that. So thank you. Love it. Well, thanks, Ron. We'll talk to you real soon. Bet. Thank you, Michael. All right, bye. Take care. Well, that wraps up another episode of Irish Mike's Podcast. Thank you so much for supporting me. And don't forget to subscribe and rate on your favorite platform. This podcast can be found on Apple, Google, and Spotify podcast apps. And I would love it if you gave me a five-star rating. If you like what you hear, feel free to share with a friend. Thanks again for listening.